0: Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit GlobalRiver.org. There's a quote on your handout by Smith Wigglesworth, and it said, says, God does not call those who are equipped, equipped, but God, He equips those whom He has called. I felt inadequate, and ill-equipped, and terrified. All right, I need tech support because I'm not scrolling up here, honey. But I told I'm Cameron earlier, I'm an engineer, so I've got the second line. I've got it printed out. <laughs> so... These feelings don't just pertain to ministry. There are many things in our lives where God asks us things that God asks us to do, that He calls us to do, not just to preach, but to be a parent. There is no instruction manual that comes with that baby. You don't have a clue what you're doing, but you're ill equipped. You feel ill equipped. What about in your workplace? Thank you, honey. Thank you, he fixed it. In your workplace, there are projects that you're assigned that you don't know how to even accomplish them. What if you've been asked to speak in public and you're terrified? Right? <laughs> some of us, some of you have been called to do that. What if you have to make healthcare decisions for your parents? There are things that God calls us to do, not just ministry where we feel ill-equipped, inadequate, and sometimes terrified. Let me give you some Old Testament examples, because I'm not the only one. What about Moses? God called this man to lead his people out from the the heavy hand of a wicked king, they were slaves, into the Promised Land. And this is on your handout, Exodus 3, starting with verse 10. God said to Moses, I am sending you to the king of Egypt so that you can lead my people out of this country. But Moses said to God, I am nobody. Has anybody ever felt that way? I am nobody. I have nobody. How can I go to the king and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And Moses had a stuttering, stammering, some type of speech problem. So he even had a physical handicap. But God said, God answered, I will be with you. I will be with you. What about Joshua? Joshua, um, in 1994, I lived in Washington, D.C., in the city and there were wrought iron bars on my window, and I was terrified. I went up on a Saturday, my daddy left me. I'm like, daddy? I watched him go through the wrought iron bars, daddy. But then the next morning, I got myself up, and I was gonna go to church. And I recited Joshua 1, 8 and 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. That is what God said to Joshua, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So when God calls us to those things that we are not ready for, He gives us a promise. Like He said to Joshua and Moses, I will be with you. So, God doesn't call us to anything and just leave us to fend for ourselves. He goes with us. Okay, so this is, this is the hard part of my message. I'm going to give you a grammar lesson, okay? I'm going to give you a simple grammar lesson. Who knows the difference between active and passive voice in writing? Active voice. We're told to write with an active voice. Not a passive voice. Okay, here's an example. In the Bible where it says Jesus wept, well, Jesus performed the action. That's active voice. The subject performs the verb. Okay, what about Jesus was baptized? Did Jesus perform the action? No, it was performed on him. John baptized him. So active voice, Jesus wept. Passive voice, Jesus was baptized. Well, the Bible, the New Testament, was written in the Greek language because that was the the language of academia at the time. So it was written in Greek. And just to complicate things, they have a third voice that they use. And it's called middle voice. And we use it in English, but it's not necessarily taught in grammar. You're not told write in middle voice. Like, you'll never hear that. But it's very important in understanding the Greek language. So, um, can y'all pull up the graphic of the dog? Do we have that? Let's see. It's okay if we don't. Oh, there he is. My niece and her friend brought, German, or brought shepherd puppies. One was German shepherd, Dutch shepherd puppies to my house on, I think it was Thursday. Oh my gosh, I was in love. Okay, active voice, the dog scratched the door. Who does the action? The dog. Passive voice, I scratched the dog. Who does the action? Not the dog. Okay, middle voice. You ready for middle voice? The dog scratched itself. Who does the action? The dog. Who receives the action? The dog. That is middle voice. That is middle voice, where the dog does, does the action and receives the action. It's on your handout. The subject, now there's no test, so just take a deep breath, it's okay. I'm not gonna ask you later what is middle voice. The subject both performs and receives the action expressed by the verb. In other words, the subject acts as both the agent and the receiver, It's the direct object of the action, okay? So now that we've had the grammar lesson, we'll have the Greek lesson, all right? (laughs) This is like the Mac Daddy of Greek lexicons. I learned when I went to seminary that Strong's does not cut it in the academic world. I was like, why can't I use Strong's? I've used Strong's for 20 years. What's Strong's? This is called the BDAG. It was um, written by some Germans. That's the abbreviation. This is the Mac Daddy. Every word study I've had to do, I have to start with the BDAG have to start there. There's a word that I studied a few weeks ago in my Greek exegesis class that inspired this sermon. And it's the word proskaleo. And just so you know, there's this class of verbs, they all end with eo, and we call them the uh-oh verbs. Proskale'o is an uh-oh verb. It means, kaleo is the, the word that you'll see that means to call. Like when you hear paraclete, the Holy Spirit is our paraclete. That's from kaleo, called to one side. kaleo means to call to. To call to. And this should be on your handout. Okay? It means to summon, to call to, to call to oneself, and to invite someone. Now, what's interesting about this verb proskaleo is in the New Testament, it's not used in active voice. And it's not used in passive, it's only in this middle voice. To call to. So, the object doing the calling receives the action of the calling. So, in this middle, sometimes it's called the middle passive tense. That's what we call it in Greek. It means to call to oneself, to bid to come to oneself. Are you all still with me? Okay, that's all with the grammar and the Greek lessons. This has been hard. It's been hard for me to teach, so I need a little bit of help. I'm going to call a friend, okay? I'm going to phone a friend. Hi, Christy. I need some help. I should hang that up. Look what Chrissy did. She came to me. I called her. She came to... I need a hug. This Greek and grammar, they I've lost them, thank you for your help. That is what proscaleo is. It's to call to yourself. I called her to myself. Christy, I need you. I'm calling you. I called you to myself. I didn't just call her and say, oh, just over there, there. You're good, you're good. No, I needed her. I called her to, to call to oneself. Now, I'm going to tell you why this is important. I'm going to get there. Let's look at this in the Gospels. Because we find this word, proskaleo, in the middle tense in the Gospels. Okay? Here's some examples. These are all um, New American. I think that should all be New American standards. So, I'm not making this up. It's on your handout. Matthew 15, 32. And Jesus called his disciples to... Him, he called them to him. Matthew 18, 2, and he called a child to himself. Matthew 20, and I know I'm going through this quickly, but I just want you to see this call to himself. Matthew 20, 25, but Jesus called them to himself. What about in Mark Mark wrote the same way, Mark 3 23, and he called them to himself. Mark 17, Mark 7 14, excuse me, and he called the crowd to him. Mark 12 43, calling his disciples to him, he said to them, This is proskeleo, it's a call to oneself. He called them to himself. In the book of Acts, we see God as the subject, the Father. Acts 2.39, and this is in, um, let's make sure I get this right. Peter's big speech at Pentecost, right? Somebody tell me. Peter's big speech at Pentecost. And he's talking about the gospel. And he says, for the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself, call to himself, proskaleo, to call to oneself. Okay, so proskaleo could just be that general, he called them to himself. It can also signify a divine call to either ministry or some type of special task. So if you'll turn with me to Acts. Chapter sixteen, verse nine. Acts sixteen nine. And this is where Paul and Silas and Timothy wanted to go visit, uh, minister in Asia, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them. And then I think next was. My Asia and the spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them, which that's a very interesting study in itself. But there was a purpose because they were needed in Macedonia, in Philippi and Thessalonica. So this is on your handout, Acts 16, 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he has seen the vision, and he, they go back and forth between he and we, but it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the, the team, they were together. We immediately sought to leave for Macedonia. It reminds me of one time when Brian and I were in the mountains with my mom, and they had a house on a big, it was on a big hill. It started snowing. We immediately sought to leave. <laughs> we were like, we got out of that house, two kids, we were down the hill in like an hour. In in Wilkesboro, we were out of there. And that's what Paul did. We immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding. Here's why. Here was their motivation. That God had called us to preach the gospel to them, to the Macedonians. Okay? So, we're going to narrow in on this Acts 16.10, the second half. God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So the reason we've done this grammar lesson and Greek lesson is this one verse. God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Because this verb is in the middle tense. It's in the middle tense. And that's important for you and for me. It's in the middle tense. It's not active. God called it's not passive, they were called it's middle tense, which means God called them to himself. Now the Bible you'll find in the Bible that, that everything that's spelled out in the Greek does not always naturally translate into English. and so we miss some of these important things, like God called them to himself God called them to himself to preach the gospel. And there's something important there. Thayer's Greek lexicon, so first, like I told you, the B-dag, that's the Mac Daddy, we always had to use the B-dag. Thayer's Greek Lexicon is available to anyone, and it's on blueletterbible.com. If you ever want to study your Bible in the Greek, you just put in Acts. Okay, now I'm not going to give you all permission to all get on your phones right now, because then you'll be checking messages. But you could go on Blue, on the Blue Letter Bible app or get on the internet right now and put in Acts 16b, Acts 1610, the second half, and you can look at this, and you can even see that it's in the middle passive tense. And then you can go to Thayer's Greek lexicon and find out what it means. Anybody can do that. If you're interested, it's not for everybody. and I'm not special because I'm do it, because I do it. It's what I am passionate about doing. I, I love doing this. I love the details. This is the details. OK. Thayer's Greek lexicon says about this word in the middle passive tense. The Holy Spirit and Christ are said to call unto themselves those preachers of the gospel to whom they have decided to entrust a service. And when I read that, I didn't just see the call to themselves, but it was for a purpose. It's for a purpose. Here's another cross reference. Acts 13, two. while they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart, I'm sorry, set Barnabas and Saul apart for me, for the work to which I have called them. That's also middle passive, the work for which I have called them to myself. It's a call to himself. And we all have things that God has called us to himself to do to minister to our families, to be a light in our neighborhoods, to do a project at work, to care for an aging parent, to hand out bread at the food pantry. It is not just for those who stand on a stage or hold a microphone. We all have callings, tasks that God has entrusted to us, to us, not to anybody else, to us. So, when God calls someone for the purpose of entrusting a task for them, first, he calls them to himself. It is a call first to himself. And when I started thinking about in the Bible, okay, give us, Lord, give me some examples. Well, before Moses became the great leader of of the Israelites out of Egypt, first, he was tending his father-in-law's flock in Midian. Am I getting this right? Sometimes I start to quote facts, and my middle-aged brain says, was that Midian? Was that Peter? <laughs> it, just, it just goes, but that's, thank you. Call a friend. When we think about Joseph, before he was raised up to be a leader in Egypt, he spent time as a slave. He spent time as a prisoner. There was a Long time of preparation. What about the apostle Paul? When you when you read about his his conversion, it says he didn't he didn't like rush up to Jerusalem and say, I'm here to serve. No, he went into the desert. He went into the desert for three years. Now commentators aren't sure was he preaching the gospel or what was he doing, but he just didn't run up to the pastor and say, Okay, I'm ready now. No, he had a season of preparation. What about Jesus? How many years did God call Jesus unto himself to prepare him for the special task that God had for him? There was a season of preparation. There was a time where God called them unto himself to make them ready. There's a season of preparation. So, there was a point in my sermon where I got, where I hit sermon block, and usually the sermons just flow, and I don't get stuck, but I got stuck on this part, and often God knows that I like to, like, write out every word that I'm going to (laughs) say, it comes back to control and details. And when I got to this part, like, for five days, I didn't know what I was going to say. I was like, what's the point? Because my question was, God, why do you call us first to yourself? Why? Why? And and there was silence, and I had some thoughts, and silence, and I had some thoughts, and silence, and some thoughts. And so I just have simple words with only one Bible reference. So, Holy Spirit... (laughs) (laughs) This is called on-the-job training right here, (laughs) on-the-job training. This is called Lisa getting away from the podium and not having every word. First, God calls us to himself so we can get to know his character. Like my friend Jan, I know her character, and I know that I can text her and say, I'm sad today. As I did that last week, there was one day I was just off. Like, I drove out of the neighborhood and didn't even speak to my neighbor. I just drove right on past because I was off. But I know Jan's character that I can text her and say, I feel sad. And she texted a prayer. I trust her. I can trust her to be a woman in ministry that does not have it together all the time. I know her character. We need to draw near to God to get to know his character to learn that he is faithful. That's why sometimes this process of drawing near to God and becoming equipped takes years because we have to learn that he's faithful. That is not an overnight lesson. That is not overnight. And I have learned that he is faithful because every time I have stood in that honored place of my pastor's pulpit... God has never stood me up. He has never stood me up. Now, there are times I've (laughs) blurted out things I shouldn't have said. or (laughs) uh, I don't think I've ever burped, but I've made other noises. And there are times it hasn't gone perfectly. But God has always shown up. And Holy Spirit has always been there. I've never been abandoned at the altar. I have never been left. I know his character. I know he's faithful. We also in this season learn how to recognize his voice. I have learned as I'm writing sermons, there's a there's a certain swirl in my stomach that I get when I know I'm on the right track. But the other thing I've learned is this week there was no swirl, there was just block. There was no swirl. But I know he's faithful. Even when you don't get the, you know, the, your hair standing on end, goosebumps that Holy Spirit's leading you, you still know he's faithful. Because you learn to hear his voice, whether it's through the, the swirl or just the Holy Spirit, you, this is my prayer, Holy Spirit, you love those people so much that even if it's my worst sermon ever, you're going to minister to them. That is what I know. I can get up here in bomb, and Holy Spirit can use me to touch your life and to change you, to change you today. Because it's not about me. It's not about me. That's what you learn when you learn to recognize His voice. You also learn in this calling to God how to follow the Holy Spirit. Because there are things... Holy Spirit will ask you to do that you are not going to want to do. Listen, there's a time when, when I was doing a Bethmore Bible study and it said, you know, when you are everything that God says about you, what are you doing? And I wrote in the margin, I'm pastoring women. And then the next thing it says in my margin is, that is the last thing I want to do. I wrote it. That was the honest reaction. First, it, I wrote pastoring women. And y'all, I have, I have led women's ministry. I know what women are like. I am a woman. Woo, that's some rough ministry when you pastor women. I could tell you different places. Women have chewed me out, steamrolled me, the sweet little church lady. So sometimes God calls us to things that we might not want to do. You might not wanna be the public speaker. You might not wanna take the next project at work. You might not wanna speak up at your workplace or in your community. You might not wanna care for the aging parent. You might not wanna homeschool your children. You might not wanna get married to that person that God is saying, that one's yours. But we have to learn to lay it down and obey. And it is not easy. It is not easy. It is that surrender. And surrender, surrender, it can take years to work that into yourself. And even as I'm saying it, Holy Spirit's like, have you got it yet? Uh uh-uh. uh. No, I will be the first to say, I have not figured out surrender. I have not figured it out. And sometimes my prayer is, God, just give me the desire to surrender. That's the first step we have to learn <laughs> humility, yes. humility. And, and I like to teach that there's a, a confident humility. There's the humility that I say that I can't do anything right apart from Jesus. But then there's the confidence that when I step out for Jesus, he's got my back. That is a confident humility. Where you can go before somebody, even if you can't remember. Now, was that Peter? Was that Midian? It doesn't matter. Jesus has your back. He still uses you. He'll speak through you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Hallelujah. You also learn honor. It was like me asking Pastor Tom, could I preach? And then I waited a whole year. Gave him some time to think about it. Then I asked him again. I have seen women bulldoze their way into ministry, and it is not pretty. And so I just sat back and just waited. I'm available, Pastor Tom. Whenever you, whenever, whenever you see fit, I'm available. I think that's part of honor, is that we don't go and pray, Holy Spirit, I know you told me I'm supposed to preach, and that man isn't hearing you, and God, would you just change his heart? Oh, that's witchcraft. When you start praying, God, would you just show my pastor that I'm supposed to be the such and such because you called me? That is witchcraft. That's what that is. Now, a year ago, I felt like I was supposed to preach in the Spanish service again, and I heard the word soon. It still hasn't happened yet. But I just say I'm available. I'm not going to go and, Pastor Tom, you know, Holy Spirit told me that I'm supposed to preach, and Pastor Willie, Mm mm-mm. No, we're humble. We're just available. If you need me, I'm here in your timing. It's your church. Whenever you're ready, I'm here. Humility. And we also learned that it's to serve. When I started training as a... um, I could say I'm a professional speaker because I get paid like $75 every now and then when I speak. So I could say I'm a professional, but in my training to be a professional speaker, one thing that I was taught was when I show up to speak, I am not showing up to be the one served, but serve. They said, if there are women clearing the, solo, clearing the solo plates from the tables, you better get up with them and start clearing tables, even if you're at the head table. You need to get up, and if they're clearing tables, you better get up and clear tables with them. And when I show up to meetings, I don't go and just sit down. Okay, where's my green room? Where's my Perrier? No, I walk in, and I say, okay, I'm all ready. Can I help you do anything? Sure. Yes. Yes, and that's what they say, because those women ministry leaders, I've been one. They're frazzled at an event. So I've been taught, I show up to serve Jesus, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. That is what you learn in the training, the waiting, the call to himself, humility, and honor, and that you're there to serve, you're there to serve. I don't think you want to hear me talk about learning how to forgive. But let's just say those women that chewed me up and spit me out. Some of them, I had to learn to forgive. And when they had babies, God had me send them gift cards. And not just $25. Holy Spirit would say, you send them $50. Oh, Lord. Her? $50. Okay. And, when, and, and God taught me how to pray. God bless them in what they're doing. Bless them. So in this whole process, you learn to forgive, to honor, to serve. Most importantly, I believe, you learn from God's Word. This is where you learn everything. This is where you learn about humility. Jesus emptied himself, gave himself. Philippians 2. You learn how to honor. You learn about serving. You learn God's character. Everything I know about my daddy, I learned in this book. And through the lessons he taught me about it. That's why God calls us to himself. That's why we have to spend time with this word, wrestling with it, studying it. You don't have to do the Greek. It's okay. Get your New Living Translation perfect. You will learn who he is and who he says you are. Because he has tasks for you to do. He has things for you to do. Okay, that was the messy middle. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad I didn't write all that out. I don't think I could do it again. Woo. I know. Hallelujah. So there's a training. But there isn't just a training period. I believe after the training, there becomes that entrusting. Okay, you ready? Get ready. Let me give you what you need to do the task. So there's the, the equipping and then the entrusting. There's a transfer. Okay, I need help again. Oh my gosh, hopefully tech support won't have to help me turn my phone on. Okay, y'all don't look. <laughs> well, come help me. Oh, there it is. Okay, I need help. I'm calling my friend, Christy, because I'm not just calling her to myself to spend time with me, to get to know me, to learn from me. I've got something for her. Yay! All right. We'll come back to that. But I've got something for her. I have something for you to do, Christy, and in that bag is everything you need. There's some grace in it. That's all you need. We're going to unpack that. So she responded to that call. She came to me. Not that I'm anything like God. But I gave her what she needed for the task. And that's what God does. So what is that divine exchange? If you'll turn with me to Ephesians 3, we're going to look at the calling of Paul. Ephesians 3, we'll start with verse 1. This is so beautiful. So he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. And I um, just noted on there the mystery was that salvation was for both the Jews and the Gentiles. I'm not unpacking that one today. Jumping down to verse 7, and he's talking about the gospel. He says, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints. So, you, none of you can say I'm not qualified. I'm not holy enough. Here he says, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ." So, if you have a pen, I want you to circle. There's, there's a common ooh, excuse me, phrase. And when we see repetition in the Bible, it's important. There's a common phrase. He says three times, just in, in uh, Ephesians 3. Grace was given. Grace was given. So, if you have a pen, pencil, circle that. Grace was given to him. Verse 2. He says the stewardship of God's grace was given to him. Verse seven, he was made a minister of the gospel according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to him. Verse eight, grace was given to him to preach to the Gentiles. So, how did he receive this grace? God called him to preach called him to himself, and grace was given to him. Three times it says it. That was important to him. This grace was given to me. Not I, Paul, was a learned scholar. I studied under Gemmanuel or however you say his name, him i studied under the learned rabbi and i know all the torah and i know everything and thus i am qualified to go and preach i spent three years in the desert getting ready thus i am qualified to go and preach to the gospel preach the gospel to the gentiles i even saw a vision no that was not what qualified him or gave him the ability to preach it was grace If you can wipe a kid's nose all day without yelling at them, that's grace. If you can go to work and deal with people who gripe and complain without chewing them out, that's grace. If you can let someone chew you out without chewing them out back like I've done, that's grace. If you can care for an aging parent, that's grace. It's grace. There is nothing in our flesh that can do these things. We are selfish, angry, prideful in our flesh. We are we ain't pretty like Jesus. Like we don't act pretty. We don't act in any way that Jesus would act without grace. We can't do anything without grace. I can't even get out of the bed without grace. Okay? It's the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth. Grace. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, By the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Listen to what he says. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. I I ain't working up here. I ain't doing a thing. You're seeing the grace of God showing off. Not anything in me that can do this. I can't remember Gamal and Peter and Midian. I can't find words. But grace works in us. Not just for ministry. This is on your handout, 1 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed, every good work. You may have enough grace to leave a good tip for lunch today. You may have enough grace to speak to your neighbor when you don't want to talk to anybody. You may have enough grace not to reply in anger when someone says an unkind word. Every good deed, every good thing takes grace. So what I want you to see is there's two definitions of grace that we see in the Bible. It is not only God's unmerited favor. That is grace, Ephesians 2, I think it's 7 and 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Grace is God's unmerited favor. But we see in Ephesians 3 And what was that, 1 Corinthians, where did that go, 15, where Paul said that grace worked in him, that is also an empowering grace in your life. A couple quotes, John Bevere says, God's grace, and I remember when I first studied this, I thought, well, is that right, biblically? And I found John Bevere, he said, God's grace is his empowering presence in our life. And then John MacArthur, in a commentary I was reading, he wrote, the grace in which we stand not only saves, but enables. We stand in grace, forgiven, but we also go in grace. So God calls us unto himself, to train us and equip us and let us get to know him and to work out those parts of our character that need to become more like Jesus. But then he equips us with this grace. He called. They concluded, they left immediately concluding that God had called them to himself to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Like they didn't stop and say, okay, now are we sure... Do we have everything we need? Like, we don't know anything about the Gentiles. Like, they didn't stop and question and say, I stutter, I stammer, I don't know how to do it. No, they knew God had called them to himself to go. They went in grace. So I want you to know you too are not left empty-handed in what God has called you to do. In parenting, God calls you to himself So that he can give you an enabling grace to complete the task. In your marriage, God calls you to himself so that he can give you that enabling grace to complete your task. In ministry, God calls you to himself so that he can give you that enabling grace to complete the task. In your job, in your relationships, in your community, in politics, in entertainment, in business, in education, in health care, wherever God has placed you and has said, will you do this for me? Then you know he has called you unto himself. So you can get to know him. And then he can give you that enabling grace to complete the task. He does not leave you empty-handed to fend for yourself. If he says, will you do this for me? He's going to help you do it. It might not be an overnight job in your life, like it was not an overnight change in my life. And I'm still getting there. But you better know if he has called you He will equip you. He will. He will not leave you stranded at the altar. He will not stand you up, not one time. Not one time. Not one time. So I want to close. If y'all could pull up the picture, the little family picture. Oh, look at us. We were so young. Yes, that's Brian and me. How many years ago? 20 years ago, honey? about 20 years ago, around 2000. And that's our daughter Hannah and our son Gregory. We were getting ready to go to Tweetsie Railroad that day. These precious children, I was all ready to send them off to public school, private school, get them out of my house, let me enjoy my days of leisure, eating bonbons, watching TV. Does that sound like me, Pat? (laughs) But our son Gregory, when he was three and a half, he was diagnosed with autism. Now, what that meant for Gregory was he had skills all over the place. His skills were like a scatterplot. And so, when he was in first grade, he was flunking first grade math, not because he didn't get it, but because he had been doing third grade math, and he was bored to tears in first grade math, and he was flunking. So for second grade, I felt called to homeschool. Now, there is a reason I am not often in children's ministry. I'll just tell y'all, I like, I like order, everything to happen the way it should happen. I like quiet, like this morning we went to turn on Caleb, and it's, oh, Lord, I worship. And I was like, no, 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 where's the classical? You know, it's, ah. I like calm like quiet homeschooling there is no calm there is no quiet it is do your work did you do your work no that's wrong you should do it this way oh mommy I don't want to and I remember one day And a lot of y'all know now that you homeschooled during the pandemic. (laughs) Many mothers and fathers know what that's like now. But there was one day I remember I slammed the homeschool room door, went to my bedroom, slammed that door. Thank God I could go into the bathroom. Another door slammed that door. I could even go into my walk-in closet, slammed that door. And I got down and I put my face on the Berber carpet. Oh, Lord, help me. Many times I prayed that God would let my children live till Brian got home at 5 (laughs) p.m. It was bad, it was bad. But God called me to homeschool. And we were at um, ECU yesterday. Our daughter is studying to be a doctor of audiology. So if you've got hearing problems in two years, she can set you up. But she got her white coat, so it, it means she's halfway through. And we were telling some of her professors that also have homeschooled or were homeschooled, she was a pre-K dropout. Like, when she was four years old, she begged me to homeschool her. So I homeschooled her. She never she never went to school after dropping out of pre-K in March when she was four years old. Never went to school until college. We homeschooled our son the whole way. Um, can you all put up the picture of Gregory now? I just want to give you all some hope that when like, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't even go to the homeschool meetings because all those other moms knew what they were doing, and it made me feel like a failure. When I just kind of, I just put the blinders on and just homeschooled what was best for my family, where God led me. And our son, we didn't know if, if he would be able to drive. He can drive. We didn't know if he could go to college. He's gone to college. We didn't know if he could work. Before he was 18 years old, this church offered him a job doing sound. Like, they sought him. While he was a student at UNCW, um, a camp director in Greenville, South Carolina, found him, recruited him, and he worked three summers caring, caring for adults and children with disabilities. Like, he showered them, changed them, pushed them in their wheelchairs. Now, this gentleman with autism works for the Autism Society of North Carolina as a camp counselor. Like, summer camp starts tomorrow, my son will be there on staff. To top it off, he got his master's in data science, and in August, He's moving to Wisconsin to take a job with Epic Systems, the creators of MyChart in digital software. That is God. But I also, as I'm looking at some of you, I just want to give credit to those that taught him in Children's Church. This church, my children would not be who they are without this church. And the leaders who raised them up, those that served them, people that gave them jobs before they even, you know, knew their social security number. But what I want you to know is that when God calls you to do something, there's, there's a reason. There's a reason. God, God knows you can't do it. God knows you can't do it. That's why he told Moses, I will be with you. Moses says, I'm nobody. God says, I will be with you. I will go with you. Each one of you today, there are things you are called to do. You may think you are a nobody with nothing to offer. You're worthless. You're useless. I got an email this week from someone who felt that way. He said, I can't preach. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I have nothing to offer. Each one of you, is created for good works. I think that's Ephesians 2.10. He created us for good works in Christ, which he has already prepared in advance for us to do. You are all created for good works in Christ. All created. And I want to encourage you today. There, is, there are callings on your life. And if God has called you Just as Smith Wigglesworth said, he will equip you. He will teach you. He will train you. He will divinely transfer unto you everything you need to do that. It is the truth. I've seen it. Many of you have seen it. For those of you who don't know yet that that's what God's character and nature is, I just want you to take a gamble on him. Just test him. Just test him. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And those of you who are bold, you can just say yes to God. Father God, there there are many here today. God, you have called us all to do different things. And God, some of us have walked with you for a long time. And we know that faithfulness. We know that when you call us, God, that that we can trust you, that you're trustworthy, that you're faithful. But God, I I just pray especially for those right now that, that don't know that nature, that don't know you that well, that are scared, and that that don't have that track record. God, I just take pray that they would just take a gamble and just risk it all to trust you. And God, I pray for each one today, God, that that they know the next step, the next thing, the next task, big or small, that you have called them to do. God, I just pray that they would choose to take the risk, that they would choose to surrender, that they would choose to say yes. God, you give us all a choice. You give us a choice. We can say yes. I will come unto you. I will receive the grace. Or we can say, no, not me. I I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I'm nobody. God, you give us a choice. And I just pray today over all the choices out there, God, that Holy Spirit, right now you would whisper in their ear, however they need to hear it, I am with you. I won't let you down. I will help you. I know you can't do it, but I will help you. I will teach you, train you, guide you, lead you. I will send people to help. God, I pray today over each choice. God, that they would surrender and say, here am I, send me. God, I pray that this message today would reach that little point, that little part of willingness in every heart, God. God, we want to follow you, but we don't know how, and we don't know if we can. And God, the enemy just disqualifies us right and left. But God, I pray for each one today under the power of my voice, God, that in that choice that you've given them, that, that opportunity to serve, to say yes, God, God, I just pray that they would say a resounding yes. You're faithful. And God, you call us to do these things that are beyond ourselves because you have great things in store for us when we say yes. You have great things. Even through the hard parts, even through the training, even for Joseph, through being a slave and being a prisoner, he had the opportunity to save his family. God, we just help us to say yes. Holy Spirit, help us to say yes. Today and tomorrow and the next day, help us to say that prayer like, like Mark and Jamie say that prayer of surrender. God, whatever it is you have for me, in advance, I say yes. And we just give you all the glory and honor for anything that we can do for you because it's your empowering grace that works in us as you call us unto yourself. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. So I want to invite our ministry team to come forward. Some of you may have that choice that you're facing today and you need some help. You need need someone to pray with you and agree with you to trust God with you in that choice, in that place where he's called you, in that place where he's calling you to himself. It may just be for a season of preparation and you don't know what's next. You may know the specific thing he's asking you to do, Come and let us pray for you and agree with you. I just want to thank all of y'all for being here today. And just know he has tasks for us. And we just go in the grace he's given us. God bless you. Thanks for coming.